0: radio
1: this podcast contains adult content some of the themes or topics may include information on murder kidnapping torture dismemberment maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity this podcast will also include explicit horrible and foul socially unacceptable totally uninhibited adult themes language so if you're easily offended
0: if you're easily triggered
1: then i highly suggest you turn this off now and if not just keep in mind
2: parental discretion
1: is advised Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Mysterious Circumstances. As you know, I am Justin. Um, I'm going to thank Patreon, new Patreon subscribers, on the next episode coming out, along with reading whatever reviews I might have as well. I kind of wanted just to jump into this episode, but I do have a... But I also have to thank Michael Wood again for lending me your voice and your awesome English accent. And to get the show rolling, here is a quote from Reggie Cray in his book Born Fighter. I seem to have walked a double path most of my life. Perhaps an extra step in one of those directions might have seen me celebrated rather than notorious. I always wanted to be recognized as the king of the clubs, but I chose the path I chose, so now I must walk it. For all the evidence of their violent past, there are still those who maintain the twins preyed only on their own, extorting money from other villains and conducting vicious gangland vendettas. Questioned about his murderous past, Ronnie Cray would simply say, we never killed any
0: members of the public. Reg Cray was what I would call a a manipulator of people. A guy who usually got what he wanted, one way or another. He had a lot of influences in in the prison and on the outside. And, And many times Reg asked people and myself to follow prison officers and just let him know where they lived, what type of background these prison officers had, whether they had a family, children so on and then he would use that as intimidation for uh prison officers when he was on a visit both had trained as boxers and used violence to
1: impose their protection rackets
2: upsetting the craze brought swift retribution and reggie had a big eight inch hunting knife with a barbed edge on it and he stuck it through mickey morris's arm and obviously he screamed i said pack it up because i said you're gonna have people run up the stairs And Ronnie said, never mind about packing it up, he said, do it properly, Reg, do it properly, put it up his guts, put it up his guts. One of my sons encountered Reg Cray in uh, Parkhurst Prison, and my son had not gone in the name of Collins. Your mother gave evidence against me at the Old Bailey, and somebody ran past
0: him and sliced his face open with a razor. Demanding, devious, and dangerous.
2: He and his twin brother, Reggie, controlled organized crime in the East End of London in the 60s. Both were jailed for life in 1969 after being convicted
0: of murder.
1: Alright, let's pick up with part three and talk about some gangsters. First, let me state some sources again. We have various books written by all three Cray brothers. We have documentaries, interviews with former members of the firm, former rival gang members from the Richardson gang. We have Vice articles, Guardian articles, uh, which are... ...dated from the 60s, so it was real articles written about them at the time. And then we also have another documentary that I watched for a lot of the prison stuff... ...and it's simply called The Cray Twins Prison. And it's only like a half an hour long, great documentary... ...which I took a lot of the prison information from. We also have The Cray's The Final Word... ...which was an interview that Reggie did 12 Days Before He Died... It's two hours long, and I cannot suggest it enough. It is a phenomenal documentary, and it gives you a lot of insight from a lot of different perspectives. So, go check those out. So, when we left off in Part 2, the Crays were getting ratted out. There was a lot of stuff going on. And on May 9th, 1968, the police arrested the Cray twins at Fort Valence, which was their mother's place. And all their accomplices and members of the firm were also rounded up. When they were arrested, they were put on trial for all kinds of shit. And this includes the murders of George Cornell, Jack the Hat McVitie, and Frank Mitchell. And the authorities were trying to get Albert Donahue to confess to killing Frank Mitchell, which led Albert Donahue to become a crown witness and testify against the Cray Twins. So Ronnie, Reggie, and their older brother Charlie and Freddie Foreman are all acquitted of Mitchell's murder and it was because of lack of evidence and because Albert Donahue was seen as an unreliable witness. Now Donahue and another member named John Dixon who was Ronnie's driver, they ended up pleading guilty to harboring Mitchell and they ended up getting an 18 month sentence and a 9 month sentence. The barmaid from part two that we talked about that was at the Blind Beggar Pub. She ended up coming forward after she had previously said, Well, I don't remember faces. I don't know who shot George Cornell. She ends up becoming known as Mrs. X during the Cray Twins trial. And she straight just sings, man. She tells everything, okay? as She tells about the George Cornell murder. And I mean... Like I said, at the time she didn't pick Ronnie out of the police lineup when everybody was being questioned, but she was eventually like the final blow to the trial and she just revealed everything about the shooting. And she actually wrote a book in 1997 and she she told about all the control that the Cray twins had in the local area. At the time when the shooting happened, and she talks about, you know, March 6th, 1966 at 8.30 p.m. when Ronnie Cray shot Cornell, you know, and all, all this shit. And she was actually, she had her name changed several times. She kept being moved around to safe house to safe house because the authorities were like, if they know that you're going to testify, you're going to end up fucking dead. They really, really protected her. So that that was a good thing at the end of the day. So all this shit's going on, everybody's on trial, and on March 4th, 1969, it took the jury 6 hours and 55 minutes to reach a unanimous verdict, and there was no time before this at the Old Bailey that such a long and expensive trial took place, because even though rival gang members and some other people like to say, well, I mean, the Crays only controlled Bethnal Green, they didn't really control the whole East End. Their power and influence was undeniable, so they put a lot of time, a lot of money into making sure that these guys were off the fucking streets. So, at the Old Bailey, both were found guilty of murder and sentenced to life imprisonment with a recommendation that they should each serve a minimum of 30 years. So, Ronnie's murder conviction was for the murder of George Cornell, and Sylvia McVitie Uh, which was McVitie's widow, gave evidence against the Crays during the trial as well. Reggie Cray was found guilty of conspiring to effect Mitchell's escape from Dartmoor, which he got an extra five-year sentence for to run concurrently with his 30-year sentence for the murder of Jack the Hat McVitie. So here is an article dated March 5th, 1969 from The Guardian. And the headline says Crays will be sentenced for murder today. The Cray twins, their elder brother Charles, and six of their seven co-defendants were found guilty in the London gangland trial at the Old Bailey last night after the longest murder hearing in British criminal history. The jury was out for seven hours after a 39-day hearing. The judge, Mr. Justice Melford Stevenson, postponed sentence until today. Police with walkie-talkie radios patrolled the old bailey and guarded entrances to court number one as the defendants came one by one into the dock to hear the verdicts. Only one of them, Christopher Lambriano, who was 29, showed emotion as the jury convicted him of murder. He spun on his heel towards the back of the glass screened dock. The prison officers pushed him round to face the judge, who said swiftly and almost gently, You may stand down now. The verdicts, all of which were unanimous, were in order of declaration. Ronald Cray, 34, guilty of the murders of Jack the Hat McVitie, a bookmaker's clerk, in the Hackney Flat in October 1967, and of the murder of George Cornell in the Blind Beggar Public House, Whitechapel, in March 1966. John Barry, 31, of no settled address, guilty of murdering Cornell. Ronald's twin, Reginald Cray, guilty of murdering McVitie, and of being an accessory after the fact to Cornell's murder. Christopher Lambriano, 29, of Queensbridge Road, Hackney. His brother Anthony, was 26, and Ronald Bender, 30, of Poplar, guilty of murdering McVitie. Anthony Berry, 30, not guilty of murdering McVitie. He was discharged. Charles Cray, 42, of Rosefield Gardens, Frederick Foreman, 26, of Lance Street, Cornelius Whitehead, 33, of Rosefield Gardens, all guilty as accessories to McVitie's murder. An 11th man, Albert Donahue, 32, had admitted his offense and will be sentenced today. The judge praised the devoted and selfless attention of the jury and said, You have set a standard by which I judge all juries of the future. About 60 plainclothes policemen kept a 24-hour watch on the jury throughout the trial, following them home from court and even into public houses. The accused were brought to and from court by a cavalcade of police cars and motorcycle outriders. Legal costs for the Queens Council junior barristers and solicitors have been estimated at £150,000, with a further 4,000 pounds for jurors' allowances. Ronald Cray, in his rimless spectacles he wore throughout the case, heard the verdict impassively. Only Charles Cray and Barry glanced at the public gallery as they descended to the cells. Barry gazed up until the side of the dock cut off his view. And here is some audio clips of different people talking about you know the trial and them getting convicted and one of them is even albert donahue talking about why he decided to testify against them i
0: think really and truly there was so much evidence against them the twins should have put their hands up and said look we'll take it because they was apparently offered the deal that you take it like you put your hands up to it and all the rest can walk they
2: expected them to go down with them that was their sort of sort of like a death wish they had you know we're going down you've got to come down with us you know we'll go together they that's not right uh, they wasn't re- responsible for what the twins did when each of them was arrested i interviewed them and said look this is your one opportunity you will never get another i'm telling you now that i'm going to charge the craze with murder, and there may be other cases as well. You've now got the opportunity, if you choose, to come on the side of law and order, to make a statement to me, and tell me all you know about the craze, and this is the only opportunity you'll
0: get. All of a sudden, you've got their own cousin, Ronnie Hart, done the right grass in any way, he's told him exactly what's happened, and about half a dozen more of the so-called heavyweights on the firm have all grasped one another, and grassed the twins. Well, this was a disgusting trial in that sense, that the number of people who were singing, betraying... I mean, it was really grotesque. And people who I'd met six months before, as staunch friends, buddies, allies, whatever they were, of the craze, members of the firm, and suddenly there they were, you know, large as life, saying how dreadful the craze had been. I pleaded guilty because I had no chance. The charge was harbouring Frank Mitchell. I told Never Read what it was all about. And then he says, Can you tell me about the Cornell? I said, Yeah.
2: And Ronnie said, We've got Scotch Jack is going to take Cornell's murder. Bronnie Hart is going to take Jack the out. And we want you to take Frank Mitchell. So I thought about it just for a few seconds. And I said, no, I never know." Of course, you can't ask a man to do that. What man, what, what, what sane man's got to say, yeah, I'll, I'll put my hands up to a murder and get a life sentence for something I've not committed? I mean, it's ridiculous to, to even think it, you know? Of course, he had to roll over. The loyalty of all the other gang members is something that's quite remarkable. They did not want to dissociate themselves with the craze and in that way appear unloyal because this was the structure. This was the society. We're loyal to the culture. We're loyal to the friends that we've always known, the people we drink with, the people we eat with, the people we piss and shit with. You understand? Not the craze. I put them before my own family. You know, Christian said to go along with it, whether he likes it or not. That was a chosen I Went down that road, and there was no going back. They didn't have
0: to go down. They could have done what, they, what Albert done and what I done. They thought, well. twins will get us off for this. They've got good lawyers, good barristers, plenty of money about, plenty of money about for them. God knows what they paid. The rest of them, they get legal aid.
1: Now, here's a few things I'm going to talk about, okay? When you talk about, like, the defense, the the lawyer that defended the craze, he has a lot of things to say about the judge in this case, the Melford Stevenson. He said that Anytime somebody would bring up something like the, you know, to the defense wise, the judge was not even going to hear it. He's like, he already had his mind made up when the craze came in. And as soon as they were on trial, it was already going to be a guilty verdict. There was no arguing it like they would present evidence and shit or bring up the fact that there was lack of evidence. And he said the judge would just roll his eyes and just not even listen to the shit. And another thing, too, Charlie Cray in his book. Charlie Cray was sleeping in bed when the murder that he was convicted of happened. And he still got 10 fucking years as an accessory, which is kind of shitty. So, like, Charlie Cray was doing his 10 years and he was pissed off because he had nothing to fucking do with it. There was no evidence against this dude for that particular murder. And he talks about it in his book. But nonetheless... The twins go to prison, but it does not stop them from doing everything, all right? It does not stop their legend. It does not stop their myth. You have gangsters who straight up in interviews are like, honestly, I didn't even know who the fucking crazes were until they went to prison because according to a lot of underworld figures, when the Krays went to prison, they actually ordered more killings assaulted more people, and made more fucking money than they did while they were on the outside, which is crazy to think about. Now, Francis's mom, Reggie's wife that passed away, she had petitioned to have her daughter's body moved away from the Cray Cemetery plot and buried under her maiden name. And because Reggie owned the plots, they needed his approval to do that. And he would not fucking approve of that at all. So, both the craze write best selling books about their lives. All three of them did. And in 1990, there was a full length biographical movie called The Craze. And that was released. And you can find this movie for free. And it is a great movie. I know everybody talks about the movie Legend, but dude, in 1990, when they made The Craze, that was a great movie. You know, they they had all these fucking schemes going on while they were in prison. And that includes a bodyguards for celebrities business. And they were running this from prison. And supposedly Frank Sinatra was one of their clients as well, which, which is pretty damn awesome. So before we go any further here, before I start telling some prison stories, let's have a word from our sponsor. Take a few minutes, grab yourself a drink, you're gonna need it. Meet you back here in a few. So this episode is brought to you by Stereo App. And I know you're probably wondering, what the hell is Stereo App? So check this out. It is an app that you can download right to your phone. You can go to stereo.com slash podcast, right? I got a link in the description. So you download this app. And every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to go live. And you can be involved in the conversation. It's a way for you to join me. You can ask me questions about certain cases I've covered, certain historical figures. I can be able to go a little bit deeper in detail on some of the things that I had to leave out in certain episodes for like length of time and, and other things like that. And it is such a cool conversation app. And another cool thing is, too, is I need two people to go live so you can be that person that is on there live with me, taking questions, having a conversation with me about whatever topic you might want me to talk about, whether it's related to my latest episode or something that I have covered in the past. Like I said, you can go to Stereo.com slash MC Podcast, or if you're already on Stereo app, you can find me at MC Podcast, and as soon as I go live, you get a notification, so bam, you're right there in the conversation with me. It's it's a way for the listeners to be more interactive, and in real time, you can ask me questions, or we can talk about whatever you want on there, so It's it's a pretty awesome app. I've done it a couple times now. I honestly enjoy it. It's really, really cool. And it's not like you're paying anything for the download either. It's totally free. Just download it, follow me, or you can go to stereo.com slash mcpodcast and catch me when I go live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and be a part of the conversation with me. Go check it out. Go download it now. So, at first, the twins are taken to a special unit at Brixton Prison, which is very secure. They didn't have any incidents there, except for a guy named Joey Kaufman. Joey Kaufman had serious mafia connections in New York, okay? And I don't know what he did, but Kaufman was sitting on the edge of a table reading his newspaper, and Reggie came up and hit him through the newspaper with a left hook and broke his fucking jaw, But other than that, I don't know what the dude did. Not 100% sure what all came about that, but, you know, that's how it went down. So the firm ends up getting split up to different prisons. Reggie goes to Parkhurst, Ronnie goes to Durham, Charlie goes to Chamsford, and Freddie Foreman goes to Leicester. In March 1970, Reggie gets transferred to Leicester Prison, and believe it or not, Eddie Richardson The head dude of the Richardson gang shows up there at about the same time. Still no real incidents happen between those two. Ronnie is at Durham, and at this point he gets into a fight with an inmate doing life in prison. Okay, the other guy ended up getting transferred, and Ronnie got like a fine. Like he had a canteen fine, which is basically the same thing as commissary. He was docked like I think five pounds or something like that. And while they're in prison, there is a huge list of like 50 fucking people that are not allowed to see the, the Cray twins. And that includes, uh, one of the authors that wrote, wrote a book about him. So the Cray's mom knows how her boys are. So she starts petitioning to get both of them at the same prison. And originally they said no, but because Ronnie was starting to get out of control at Durham, with his mental illness and and violence, they ended up approving it because they figured Reggie could come in and just kind of calm him down and watch over him, make sure he's taking his meds, shit like that. So in February of 1971, Ronnie goes to Parkhurst where Reggie is. And there's quite a few things that happen at Parkhurst, all right? Ronnie at one point is sent to solitary confinement for 56 days because he got into a fight with one of the prison officers and to be honest with you it's kind of justified like Ronnie wanted his meds Ronnie knew that he was not cool without his meds and he wanted his meds and the officer would not give them to him he refused to give him his meds so Ronnie fucking hit him ended up in solitary. Then in March of 1972, the twins go into isolation together and get out of general population. And they basically wanted to go into isolation because they were tired of being around the same old people, having the same old conversations, just the same faces, all that shit. So they're like, dude, just send us to isolation. Like, fuck all these people. So shortly after this. Ronnie is taken to a prison hospital, and it was because his mental condition was deteriorating really, really fast. He was not doing good. Reggie ended up staying in isolation. Now, both of them eventually did go back to general population, though. Then a year later, on April 17th, 1973, Ronnie gets caught in bed with another prisoner, and he was told, you know, hey, if it happens again... You're gonna go back to isolation. Like, you can't be uh, you know, this ain't fucking Tinder, you know, or grinder, you know, for for <laughs> for Ronnie's sake, you know, he's like, can't be fucking all the inmates, man. So, you know, he he calms down and shit. Now, here is a fucking crazy story, okay? And this is a straight up violent assault. So what happens is this inmate named Roy. Get seriously fucked up. How this all came about was Ron was helping him while they were in isolation together. He was buying Roy cigarettes, buying him tea, you know, trying to help him through the whole being in isolation process. So after they get out of isolation, Roy starts getting really, really fucking annoying. And he's going into Ronnie's cell unannounced, you know, in the mornings. And he's not invited to be there. He's just kind of showing up. In the mornings, Ronnie liked his private time. He was not a morning person. He wanted to sit, drink his tea, maybe talk with Reggie a little bit. And this Roy dude was just, was kind of just like imposing and shit. So one day, Ronnie leaves a note in Roy's cell. And it basically saying that he likes to be alone in the mornings or spend that time with Reggie or another friend of theirs that they had. And he asks him not to come in his cell in the mornings. So this Roy Grantham dude finds the note, he reads it, and he gets pissed. And he goes to Ronnie's cell. And Ronnie and Reggie are sitting in there. While they're sitting there, Roy rips up the note and fucking throws it at Ronnie. And he said he didn't want to hang out with him anyway. So he basically told him to, you know, fuck off. And if we know anything about the Kray Twins by now. Ronnie was actually trying to be half-ass respectful about it. But... Roy Grantham just fucked up. So in prisons, and this particular one, super hard to find and make weapons. So the twins take sauce bottles, like sauce for food. They have these little bottles, you know, that they're allowed. And they put them in towels and they break them. So now they have these little jagged, sharp knives, you know, that are glass. All right. And it's like the top of the bottle part. So the next morning they walk into Roy's cell and he's laying in bed. And while Roy's laying in bed, he sees the fucking door fly open, and it's Ronnie standing there. And he goes and sits on Roy's chest, and he just starts cutting the fuck out of his face with that broken bottle piece, right? Then Reggie comes in right behind him, starts slashing up his stomach with his broken bottle piece. And then... Neil Adamson, who was a firm, a member of the firm, he was a Cray associate, lower level, he comes in behind Reggie. And what Neil did was he had taken a fucking broomstick and he had taped his broken piece of fucking glass on the end of it like a makeshift spear. And while the both the Crays are cutting this dude up, Neil is stabbing this motherfucker with this makeshift spear. So... Needless to say, they got into some shit for that. I don't even know if Neil fucking died. I I don't think he did because I'm pretty sure I would have seen it more and more articles and shit. I could be wrong, though. But, yeah, they messed this dude up pretty bad. So, by August of 1974, they are in there for about five years now. They're starting to get a lot more withdrawn. They're in their cells a lot of the time. And you can tell their personalities are changing, especially Reggie's. And in January of 1975, they're moved from a secure wing to a normal wing, which is more laxed security. And then by July of 76, they're both working as cleaners in the prison. Then we jump to October of 1977, both are moved to the hospital wing and Ron's Mental health starts getting really, really bad. And then on July 25th, 1979, Ronnie is finally sent to Broadmoor, which is a mental hospital. Reggie ended up staying at Parkhurst. So Ron had it way easier because he's in more of a hospital setting. He's allowed his own clothes, he has his own bed, his own little room. Everything's more relaxed. He's also a super, super chain smoker. Like, this dude is smoking... Up to 140 cigarettes a day. That's like 7 packs a day. That is a shitload of cigarettes. So then we move forward to 1981. And Reggie moves from Parkhurst. He goes to another prison. Goes to segregation for attacking one of his old friends. Then on Christmas of that year, while he's in the segregation unit, Reggie tries to commit suicide by cutting both his wrists. Then he is let out of the segregation unit and he attacked the same guy again and tries to kill himself again the same way. And the prison really didn't even care. They were like, you're just trying to get attention, man. So they just really didn't do shit about it. Then on August 4th, 1982, the Cray twins mother dies. And this is like a huge event. The twins were let out, and it was the first time they'd been seen in 13 years. And as soon as they hit the scene, they're surrounded by like 300 reporters. They were just bombarded, right? And this is like one of the reasons they didn't go to their dad's funeral was because of all the attention, all the reporters. And it's just like, hey, man, we're trying to bury our fucking mom. Like, leave us alone. I mean, dude, when their mom died, there were fucking people everywhere. It's insane. And like I said, shortly before this, he had tried to commit suicide, so Reggie's not really in the mood for this kind of shit, right? Like, he's trying to bury his mom. He don't even want to live anymore. They didn't even get to see their mother buried because they were not allowed to go to the gravesite. That same year, Reggie has moved back to Parkhurst and again he tries to cut his wrists he uses a broken piece of glass from his eyeglasses and slits his wrists this time they said it was a genuine suicide attempt because he was depressed they said that his personality at this point like he had just lost all fucking hope you know he had lost his mother and he was depressed before this so they were like well okay this time is genuine then i guess And then Reggie says he wants to be moved to Broadmoor so he can be with his brother. They didn't let that happen. They're like, no, dude. Like, your brother is seriously mentally ill. You're not. You're just, I mean, you're still mentally ill, but not in the same way that Ronnie is. So you're not going to go to Broadmoor. So this is a story some of you might like. You might appreciate this one. In 1984, Ronnie's main rival at Broadmoor was a guy named Peter Sutcliffe. And if you do not know that name, he is also known as the Yorkshire Ripper. Ronnie said, quote, He's a nonce. I won't talk to scum like that who cut up women. He knows better than to ever look at me in the eye. If I had my way, I'd deal with him properly for good. Ronnie did not fucking like this dude. Now, there's a story that says Ronnie had arranged for a guy to slash up this Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, and this guy, his name was Costello, and what he did was he took a coffee cup and just smashed Peter Sutcliffe's face with it, and this dude got a cut from his ear to his mouth that required like 30 stitches. Pretty crazy story, right? On a side note, Ronnie actually gets married twice while he's in prison. <laughs> he gets married once in nineteen eighty five and again in nineteen eighty nine both marriages ended in divorce couldn't really understand why you know what i mean and then there was uh there was another story that like shortly before you know Ronnie died. he tried strangling another inmate, basically the guy was just annoying the shit out of Ronnie. Ronnie ended up getting restrained before he killed the guy, but he also felt super remorseful about it. And he said, I want to go on record and say this is the last act of violence that Ron Cray will ever commit. Now, like I said, this was, you know, shortly before Ronnie died. So he really didn't get into any shit, you know, after that. So let's go to 1986 where there's a prison report that says, Reggie Cray is involved in every racket in the establishment, appearing to be a destructive godfather. He is linked to strong arming and illegal brewing of alcohol. He has also had a series of homosexual affairs with younger inmates. Now, like we had discussed in part one, I think we brought it up in part two a little bit. Reggie always claimed that he was bisexual, which he did have a lover that he was in prison with at Parkhurst. I believe it was Parkhurst, but I mean, this guy actually wrote a book. He's done interviews and stuff like that. There's plenty of pictures of them together, and so Reggie, he's in there like Ronnie. He swings both ways, so he's just pretty much trying to live his best life, I guess. In 1987, Reggie is moved from Parkhurst and then he was transferred to a shitload of different prisons, just back and forth all over, until 1997. And then he married his second wife. So in 1994-95, there is a fight between Ronnie and Sutcliffe, which is the Yorkshire Ripper. And Ronnie actually caught up with him and got his got his hands on him, but Sutcliffe ended up winning because at this point, this 1994-95. Ronnie is at the very end of his life. Like, he died in uh, March of March of 95, which we're going to get to here in a second. But he was older than Sutcliffe. He had been taking medication for so long. He was a heavy smoker. Sutcliffe kind of got the upper hand on him, unfortunately. But for those of you who hate the Yorkshire Ripper, got another story coming up about him. So on March fifteenth, nineteen 1995, after breakfast... Ronnie Cray said he wasn't feeling well and nurses thought he was having a heart attack. So he's taken to the hospital and he's treated for exhaustion and anemia. Then he is taken back to Broadmoor where he complained of feeling weak and dizzy. And then he was taken back to the hospital And his condition just got worse from there, and then he was transferred to another hospital. And two days later, on March seventeenth, 1995, at 9.07 a.m., Ronnie Cray died of a heart attack at the age of 61. And I'm actually going to play some clips about his funeral and some various gangsters and people talking about Ronnie. Thousands
2: of people lined the streets to watch the funeral procession. But the horse-drawn hearse and the long cortege were there for one of the East End's most notorious criminals, the convicted murderer Ronnie Cray. His twin brother, Reggie, was allowed out of Maidstone Prison to pay his last
1: respects. The funeral route took the procession along streets the Cray twins used to rule with their own brand of terror and protection rackets back in the early 60s. He
2: would see threat everywhere, and this is what made him so ferocious and so dangerous because from a quite innocuous sort of remark or glance, suddenly Gray would, Ronnie Cray would turn on someone. He had very good principles, principles that wouldn't agree with some people, but certainly principles that agree with me, and women and children, he loved them. It wasn't right
0: in the head, it definitely wasn't right in the head.
2: Ronnie Cray his attitude to life was this, if you do harm to me, I'm going to do harm to you, and I think... We all lived by that. <clears throat> we, were, we were at the East End, and they said, we saw life. I'm not saying it's right, but at least we didn't harm any innocent member of the public.
0: He never apologized for it, rightly or wrongly, but he never, ever tried to make excuses for it. And when he looked back on it, he always said he regarded it as a wasted life.
1: Now, supposedly in 1997, two years after Ronnie died, Reggie supposedly arranged for revenge on the attack against Ronnie. And in March 1997, Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, was stabbed in the eye with a pen by a fellow inmate. So, there's that. little bit of retribution. Fuck Peter Sutcliffe. But, uh, also in 1997, Reggie starts having parole hearings to get out. The shittiest part about this timing is that there were a bunch of documentaries made. These were made towards the end of, you know, like in the 90s, some in the 80s. And, unfortunately, because of former associates of the firm and Friends of the Crays talking about some of Reggie's involvement with shit, specifically Freddie Foreman talking about Reggie's involvement in the Frank Mitchell escape, his parole hearings are not going good. All these people saw these fucking documentaries. It actually went against him during the parole hearings. So then, in April 2000, Charlie Cray dies. Reggie is let out for that funeral, and at this point, Reggie is dying as well. He had been complaining about stomach issues for two years. All right, at this point, the prison officials and doctors kept telling him, "It's not cancer, it's not cancer." You know, da da da. But it was cancer. And in August of two thousand, Reggie Cray collapsed in a cell, and he was taken to the hospital, and he had this huge tumor removed. And he would not be lasting much longer. He was actually released from prison on compassionate grounds after being diagnosed with terminal bladder cancer. He had served 32 years before he was released. And then on October 1st, 2000, at the age of 66, he ended up dying just a few weeks after he was released. But 12 days before his death, he gave this huge interview, and I referred to it earlier, it's called The Final Word, and it's it's an amazing documentary on YouTube, totally free, highly suggested, it's two hours long. And here's a few things he said in there towards the end of the interview about life in prison.
2: Do you feel that death is the only way they would release you? Do you feel they wanted to keep you in there forever?
0: I think the way I was released Wasn't satisfactory to them, but it helped to resolve a very bad embarrassment on their part. So that's the best. um, They got a good deal with it. They got a good deal. They found a way out, but I still feel in front of them. Prison life is a waste of time. Um, I get letters from all over the country, these kids write to me, and um, I advise them. It's very difficult when kids have got nothing to do with them and they've got no money on. and they've got all kinds of social problems out there, so it's easier to say than it is done. But speaking speaking from the heart to them, I'd like to see them stay in prison. But whether they can do so, I don't know. Some will make it some won't.
1: So, you know, the whole life might have been glamorous for about 15 years for the Crate twins. But in 1969, it all came down. And to be honest with you, like people, I know a lot of people. I get a lot of comments. I get a lot of emails about you know me romanticizing these guys and building up their legend. I don't build up anybody's fucking legend, okay. I'm a podcaster. I do episodes on legend. These people are already have they have their reputations. they are already historical figures, okay. My job is just to tell you about the shit. Whether other people romanticize about them, not my fucking problem. I'm literally stating nothing but historical facts. How people perceive it, how people take it, their attitudes toward it, not my problem. All right. So I wanted to include a clip of a bunch of people basically talking about the craze and their life and their life in prison. They were literally in prison as long as they were free. Reggie did 32 years their life was not that spectacular I mean yeah granted you know prison at a couple points in time probably wasn't that bad but they didn't have their freedom they were never getting out there was no way so basically I put a bunch of audio clips together of interviews with former associates lawyers former rival gang members and it's like the craze story should be seen as a cautionary tale and unfortunately it's not Because you have movies like Legend that came out Which, you know, they build it up They romanticize it Badass movie, don't get me wrong Absolutely badass Maybe, I don't know I give it like a C minus D plus in accuracy But it's a great movie But anyway, here's what these people had to say About the craze situation
2: You don't see it this time Because I had a wife and a young child And I had a son born and I was on my mind. I was never to see him until he was 16 years of age When I come out my daughter was nearly six and was 22, and he was 23 when they came out of the nick. The marriage was over. My father became an old man, never knowing really what what, what had happened, you know, and the, the tragedy and high they left for all our families. What good came out? Where was the glamour and all that? There was nothing glamorous about it. We'd lost everything really, we'd given everything up for them our future, our lives. Our club got ruined. Um...
0: After the trial, in a matter of about months, the police revoked the licence and put us out of business. It's like the association, the smear did rub, it rubbed off on us, you understand? 1970, that was it, it was all over. It's really a cockney tragedy, it's a very, very sad, god-awful story. The idea of it actually encouraging anyone, or anyone wanted to be like the craze is another part of the sadness, because it's something sad in our own society, which makes heroes of people like this.
2: What better message can you put out to the, to the would-be gangsters of today or the criminals coming up? There's, these are the heroes you look up to, to the youth, and say, well, the, what, look what happened to them. The three of them have all died in prison. I find it hard to believe they're all gone, sitting here tonight. But they, it seems to me that that's the way it had to be, one or the other. It was a warning that if you do this, or you do that, this is what could happen to you. And I don't think that was, that was the message left here.
1: Now we're going to take another word from the sponsor, Stereo App. Then I'm going to tell you how you guys can get a hold of me, or give me suggestions, or follow me on social media. And again, this episode was brought to you by Stereo App. You can go to Stereo.com slash MC Podcast. I have a link posted in the show description, the show notes, and you can interact with me live and somebody else, usually, you know, another podcaster or even a couple friends of mine that are into the same stuff as me, or you personally can be my co-host as we go live. I answer questions on there. I go deeper with details on certain things that I've covered on the podcast. So here's a little taste of me and my buddy talking about, uh, you know, some gangsters and me getting a question. No, they All they did was rule Bethnal Green, and I'm like, I, I understand that. But, like, you have members of the Richardson gang that came out, and they're like, nah, man, these dudes were pretty fucking legit. You didn't fuck around with them, but they wouldn't hurt anybody that wasn't in the criminal lifestyle you know right like women just, and children were off limits and unless you were a criminal they really didn't fuck with you yeah speak uh, you said bethnal green that's a i just listened to actually just finished listening to a show about a guy named uh, lenny mclean who hung out in that area what a crazy story that guy had his whole life was was absolutely crazy who do you think is the most overrated gangster i mean it, it's so hard because like they're all interesting as much as I'm probably going to get shit on for saying it, John Gotti.
2: The question I have for you guys is what do you guys think of the Delphi murders and
1: why they haven't been solved? That is a fucking great question because I live about an hour and a half away from Delphi and I actually went to the location about two weeks after it happened. My opinion is that See, that's how easy it is. It's pretty awesome. I really suggest you download it. And like I said, you can join me live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Get in on the conversation with me. Love to hear from you. Go to Stereo.com slash MC Podcast. Just download the Stereo app and find me at MC Podcast. All right, so ways to get a hold of me. Let's see. We got Facebook. You can follow the page, like the page. You can hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to. Hopefully, give me a good rating, give me a good, a good review or whatnot. Join the Facebook group. But, like, I, if you don't answer the questions, you're not going to get in. Whether you're invited or not, that's, you're just not going to get in. Admins are very strict on that. Instagram at mysterious underscore podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at podcastmc. Um, Pretty much anywhere and everywhere. You really don't have to look too hard. Just type in Mysterious Circumstances. You can find me about anywhere. So You can follow my personal Instagram if you want. Which if you go to my podcast Instagram. I have my username and the bio up there. And just click on that. But if you don't have a real account. If you're not like a person who actually posts. Or doesn't even have a fucking profile picture. I'm not going to let you follow me. Because it's a private account. Also huge live show coming up. October 15th galveston fucking texas if you want uh links for tickets you can either go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com you go there their website they have links for the tickets there or you can go to my instagram i have links for the tickets there there's only 80 tickets available and i mean we've already sold quite a bit people are ready to get out you know start living their lives and see live shows and i've never been to galveston so i'm super fucking excited about that probably going to be there a couple extra days to be honest with you just to take like a little vacation so yeah check it out get some tickets come see me hang out we'll party or whatever but yeah other than that i hope you guys enjoyed this series see you folks on the flip side